Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about fighting Parkinson's disease is Chad Moore. Chad is the founder of DopaFit, a one-of-a-kind movement center for people living with Parkinson's in Western and Central Massachusetts. DopaFit offers group exercise classes, yoga, chorus, drumming, smile through art workshops, tai chi, and dance for people living with Parkinson's disease. He is a board member for the American Parkinson's Disease Association Massachusetts chapter and a public policy advocate on both the state and federal level. Chad has worked with the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help raise awareness on Capitol Hill about the problems people living with Parkinson's disease face on a daily basis. The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. How are you doing today, Chad? Good, how are you? Very good, very good. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Absolutely. Looking forward to our conversation. Before we get started, for those that are joining us for the live webinar, if you have any questions, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, Chad, I'm going to turn it over to you, fighting Parkinson's disease. All right, thank you. So, the way um, that we choose to fight Parkinson's disease, one of the many, many ways, but our our favorite way is exercise. Um, and it has been denoted by medical professionals, movement disorder specialists, that it is by far the best medicine for someone living with Parkinson's disease. And I use the word medicine um, because it should be prescribed just as any other medicine that you, you take. Um, if you have a headache, they prescribe Tylenol. If you have Parkinson's disease, they generally prescribe carbidopa, levodopa. And now they're doing a better job at saying, here's your Parkinson's medication. Now take this and go exercise. So what we found um, through our, our research and um, our expertise is that there should be three parts to a successful exercise program. When we think exercise, we think movement, right? Whether it's lifting weights, running, um, anything we can do to help our strength in cardiovascular endurance is considered a movement portion of it. But when we're dealing with someone living with Parkinson's disease, but anyone, there also should be a cognition aspect to your program as well. And then last but not least, the motivation factors. Myself as a seasoned fitness professional, a collegiate soccer player, there are most days that I have to um, drag myself to do my exercise. And I say that because exercise is all I've done, you know, and, and I have a passion for it, but it is not something that everyone wants to do every single day and they love it. And if they tell you that they love it every day and they're so excited to work out every single time, I think they're lying to you, but that's okay. Hopefully there's some people out there like that. But what we're going to teach you and talk about is ways to keep yourself motivated to push through the days when you don't want to do it. So why do we exercise, and, you know, specifically for people with Parkinson's disease? But as always, I like to mention that exercise is important for everyone, not just for people with Parkinson's disease. It just, with people with Parkinson's disease, it has been proven to show that it'll slow the progression of the disease. And we're working with the neurodegenerative disorder. So unfortunately, the disease will progress over time. But if you can do something to slow that progression, such as exercise, the question is, why wouldn't you do it? 
Now, research has shown to improve things such as gait, balance, tremor, flexibility, grip strength, and motor coordination. So it's not, again, just about gaining strength or being able to walk up and down the stairs without getting out of breath. We're helping your balance, which we know severely can be severely affected in people with Parkinson's disease. Falls lead to many, many injuries and could essentially um, cause you to be on bed rest for an extensive period of time, which can then cause your symptoms to progress pretty rapidly. So our goal is to stay out of the bed and to stay active. Tremor, of course, as we know, as most people know, um, if they don't know any symptoms of Parkinson's disease, they do know of a tremor and that's that shaking in the hand. We have seen results where after extended period of time of exercising, so a few months, their tremor on their off exercise is lessened. Now, the one thing that, especially if someone here is listening and, and watching and hasn't exercised before and you go out tomorrow with Parkinson's disease and you exercise, and after you exercise, your tremor is worse. You're not broken, okay? It is a central nervous system disorder. So we've shocked that system. You're gonna shake a little bit more, but eventually over time, we're hoping um, and we've seen that your tremor will be less on those off days when you haven't just put yourself through vigorous exercise. The one thing that is really starting to be studied um, and that we're seeing tremendous results from is also the ability to through exercise to help with cognition, depression, and fatigue. And again, this is specifically specifically for people living with Parkinson's disease. So some of the tips to add cognition work into your exercise program. One of the things you can do is stimulate the brain with activities like reading, socializing, and online classes. We are, which we've all learned, I think even more importantly now, um, due to the pandemic and causing us to lose a lot of our social connections, that we are social beings. And that our brain tends to be sharper when we're out and we're active and we're engaging with people. So a lot of that has had to switch to online classes. We've had some resistance from people who didn't necessarily um, feel that an online class or an online support group would be beneficial to them. But once we got them in there and they started using it, um, they did find that it is, it is easy to navigate and there also is a great benefit from it and that we are learning to connect in different ways. Reading is something that any of us can do at any given time. So picking up a book, it doesn't have to be something like an encyclopedia, even a magazine. Um, if you wanna read the latest tabloids, that's okay too. Learn all about what's going on in the, with uh, Prince Harry and the duchies, the duchess and duchesses, I think I said that correct. Um, I just learned all about that recently. I think um, like many of us, we were <laughs> we got a little, little more involved with British royalty um, than we were used to. So, but again, it's just, it's doing things that are gonna stimulate the mind and to kind of be outside of just that, that day-to-day -day conversating that you may have, you know, with your wife or your children or people that you spend a lot of your time with. Mixed skill-based and aerobic exercises. So mixed skill-based, um, something like boxing is mixed skill-based because you're, you're doing, you're moving your upper body, you're using your feet. Um, for us, we use combinations. So we're using one, two, three, four, five, and six. So a punching combination would be something like a one, one, two, two, three. And that one is, well, again, I'll just explain it real quickly. A one would be a jab, a two would be a cross, and a three would be a left hook for a right-handed hitter. So 
what you're doing is when you're throwing that punch, you have to think about the instructor just yelled out a one. Okay, that's my jab, which is my left hand. So I punch forward at that and going through. So we're adding that cognition piece into our physical and aerobic workout. There are other little trips and ticks and tricks you can do. Um, we have noticed that some people living with Parkinson's disease that are struggling with some cognition issues. And more specifically, those cognition issues are leading to some visual perception issues that if we leave a light on or we have brighter lights, that they have um, a better ability to navigate the room and to not get as confused or confused at all. Now, there's a, another side to that where a very bright room, and more specifically, um, I'm looking to my, my windows over there where you get a lot of sunlight coming in, can also be blinding. So it's finding that, that balance and making sure that if you're dealing with someone who's living with Parkinson's disease or dementia or Alzheimer's, that you're not sitting with your back to a bright light or a bright window, because that can kind of distort their perception, and then it's leading them to think more about that light than um, the conversation. Forms of exercise. Now, this again, these are programs specifically designed for people living with Parkinson's disease. Now, I, you heard me touch on boxing, which is a big thing that we do here at DopaFit, and that there's a, a national program, training program that was created in Indiana. I think they're over 10 years um, old now, maybe even a little longer, called Rocksteady Boxing. So we do boxing with people living with Parkinson's disease. Now, full disclaimer, um, they are not fighting each other. Okay? And it is non-contact boxing, but we use boxing really for that aerobic aspect of it. It's something that can get the heart rate up, almost as if you were running around the block without putting your body through some of the, um, the pain and things that come through running around on the streets. And of course, the danger if you're living in say New York City. The late of the disease is a boot camp style um, exercise class for people with Parkinson's disease. It is one of the early um, exercise programs that was created for group fitness for Parkinson's disease. It was the first certification that I ever got into Parkinson's disease and I'm forever grateful for David Sid and Jackie Russell for all they do for the Parkinson's community. The Parkinson's Wellness Recovery or Power Moves, um, the founder is Becky Farley. It is generally used by physical and occupational therapists. So if you find yourself a physical occupational therapist that is certified, that is power move certified, they have a specialty in Parkinson's disease, and you'll also be able to work with your therapist through your insurance company, where group exercise of something of rock steady boxing, delay of the disease, or down here, I'll speak about the dance for PD, isn't necessarily going to be covered by insurance. LSVT big and loud. LSVT, LSVT big is another form of Parkinson-specific physical therapy, which a physical therapist and occupational therapist can have the opportunity to become certified in, then giving them a protocol to working with someone living with Parkinson's disease. And the LOUD program is specific to speech therapy, but I bring it up because they're under the same umbrella and the, the speech therapy was actually um, created first. And then Dance for PD, David Leventhal is the creator out of New York City, an absolutely fantastic program. Um, it is one of the fun ways and different ways to get exercise in without feeling like you're in an exercise class. Um, so another great thing, you can look that up on the internet and find tons of classes. Now, the most important part of your exercise program for someone living with Parkinson's disease is the level intensity of intensity 
that is derived while you're exercising. So very quickly, there's a study in 2015, effects of high intensity exercise on motor symptoms for people with Parkinson's disease. A pretty decent sized study, 128 men and women who had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease within the past five years and no one was taking medication yet. And none of them had regularly exercised. So it's a good sample size, but it also has some good qualifying factors in there to really give some good data. Now the group that did not exercise at all, their symptoms got worse by three points or equates to say a 15% um, decline in their, their movement and their abilities. Um, so the next group with their heart rate between 60 to 65% of his or her maximum declined by one and a half points. So this, we call that moderate exercise. Now they were working out four times a week. So this moderate exercise on the treadmill, four times a week. So that's your walking. You're gonna be a little out of breath um, per se, but it would be as if you went for a stroll around your neighborhood with a friend and you were able to chat it up the whole time and you know walk right through it. Again, a decline by one and a half points. So as opposed to the three points, so that's 50% better than not exercising. Then we looked at heart rates, or they looked at, excuse me, heart rates at between 80 to 85% of their maximum. So you are breathing heavy here. You can still talk. It's not, the, it's not a run or a jog. It is a fast walk. But again, there might be some points towards the end of your walk where you're huffing and puffing and your conversation might be a little shorter than it was in the beginning. These people, 80 to 85% of their maximum heart rate, walking on a treadmill four times a week, saw almost no decline. So that means in that time, their Parkinson's disease did not get worse, where the group that did not exercise in that same time, they were 15% worse. That's tremendous. Yep. And then those results lasted between three to six months after they stopped exercising. So that group, that 80, 85% group exercised for six months, that following three to six months also saw almost no decline. So it transfers over as well, which is huge. So the scientists and the researchers that were a part of this, and one simple statement, if you have Parkinson's disease and you wanna delay the progression of your symptoms, you should exercise three times a week with your heart rate between 80 to 85% maximum. It is that simple. So if you're exercising, make sure you're putting in a little bit of an effort. Quickly, the um, motivation that I talked about really truly comes from others. Other people tend to be our most motivating factors. Um, initially, it's going to be that willingness and that wantingness to slow the progression of your disease, which is going to fire you up. You're going to be exercising. You're going to be going to your classes. But then there's going to be those days where you, I was talking about, you just don't want to go. And that's where being part of a community is so beneficial. Oftentimes, they show up just because they know their friends are going to be there. Or next class, someone's going to ask them where they were. And they're going to say, oh, I just didn't feel like coming. They're going to feel guilty. Um, and, and again, I, I don't condone guilt or make people feel guilty, but sometimes guilt can be a motivating factor. So if we can use it as a positive thing every once in a while, I think it's great. Um, you're going to find people, especially if it's a Parkinson's driven exercise group that are living with the same condition that you are going through some of the same struggles. So there's going to be days they don't want to get up. 
you're going to be days you don't want to get up and get there, but you're going to get there for each other. And again, our gentleman here um, in his home with a Zoom workout, we have been able to create that same community through Zoom, which has been that bridge that has really helped get us through this. We're not through it yet, but hopefully through this completely to the other side. Mm -hmm. Really quickly, again, the benefits of group exercising during a pandemic. We surveyed our participants and um, just simply asked them, have you felt depressed during the COVID-19 pandemic? About 80% of them said that they did. Um, and then about 94% said that exercising with DopaFit, so with that group, via Zoom, made them feel less depressed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we equate that to two parts. One, it's the exercise, right? As we learned early on in the presentation, that exercise has been shown to help with depression. But the second part is still having that community, still being able to talk about some of your problems with each other and still knowing that there's other people who are dealing with the same thing you are and you're not standing on your Parkinson's Island all by yourself. Can you talk about your involvement with Parkinson's and how you started DopaFit? Yeah, so um, my involvement stems from my mother. Um, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease very young at 50 years old. Fortunately, she passed away um, five years later at 55. And it really, it was, it was a tough time for me, to be honest with you. Um, losing my mother, we were very, very close. I... I hated Parkinson's disease, Jason. I didn't want to hear anything about it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and that was for a good year to two years. And then I decided that I was going to run the New York City Marathon. And then I was going to raise some money for, par for Parkinson's disease. And I did it. It was successful. It was exhilarating. And I got to meet the Parkinson's disease community. And I fell in love. Um, and it just it just snowballed from there. Exercise has always been my background. so. That as soon as I learned about the benefits of exercise for people with Parkinson's disease, it was a, a simple decision for me to, to get the ball rolling on helping people the way I know that I'd be able to most benefit. Yeah. Do we know, uh, Chad, if Parkinson's is genetic? I mean, I'm sure those thoughts have come through your mind with your mom's diagnosis. What do we know about that? So it's it's they're doing a lot of genetic testing right now. That is the uh, the big thing that's going on. They're actually um working on creating medication therapies for people with specific genes um living with parkinson's disease on a parent passing it to a child they have a very low percentage of that they believe that to be true they're still working on it but jason i get that question a lot and the one thing that i'll that if someone came to me and said we can find out right now whether or not you're going to develop parkinson's disease in the next 10 years do you want to know my answer is no, I'm doing everything that I should be doing, whether or not I'm going to develop Parkinson's disease. I'm eating well, I'm exercising regularly. So if and when it happens, um, I'm prepared because I'm doing the work now as well. So those who, and this is aging in general, um, those who are in better shape throughout the years, working on their health and wellness, they fare better later in life. Yeah. So, you had mentioned, Chad, about tremors are typically uh, pinpointed with Parkinson's, mm -hmm. um, but it manifests its ways itself in a lot of different ways. Are there other things that people can think about? Maybe they've had Parkinson's for a couple of years as they're getting older. Is there a way to kind of differentiate between just common aging symptoms and potentially symptoms of Parkinson's? 
Yeah, so the way they, uh, unfortunately, there's no true test at this point for Parkinson's disease. They have something called the DAT scan, which is going to check essentially your dopamine levels and see if it's deteriorated X amount. It's not foolproof. Um, they basically, if you have certain symptoms, they'll give you medication. If the medication works, they say, oh, we're pretty sure you have Parkinson's disease. But to get to that point, they, and this is what, what happened with my mother, unfortunately, um, they didn't take, she had a bunch of separate symptoms that they didn't put together in one lump and say, okay, so this now you have, it took five years for that to happen. Um, so it's taking a bunch of different symptoms. Um, you know, the small handwriting micrography is one of them. Loss of smell is one. Um, the most apparent one to me is a, a gait issue. So they're walking, it can be shuffling where their feet really start to drag and become really small steps. That's usually pretty indicative of Parkinson's disease. There's not many other um, disorders that have that. So it's really, there's, I think the last I saw, it was either 26 or 36% of people, which was my mother, don't have a tremor. My mother never really had a tremor. Mm -hmm. So, which is where there was a lot of that misdiagnosis and they're getting better at it. Um, and then there's also the, where many neurologists were keen to, if you have a tremor, they wanted to brush it off as an essential tremor. And then these people went five, six years thinking they had an essential tremor and they had Parkinson's when medication therapies could have made a world of difference. So. One woman said she was how she diagnosed, got diagnosed herself and brought it to her doctor. She was reading a, a magazine. I think it was like an AARP and it was talking about Parkinson's disease and it listed, I think it was say 16 symptoms. And she was looking at it, reading it and she circled the one she had and she ended up having eight of those symptoms. She took it to her doctor and said, Hey, we're trying to figure out what's going on. I have eight symptoms of Parkinson's disease in this magazine. What do you think? Well, I think you have Parkinson's disease. So yeah. You know, it, it's really a matter of finding out, taking all the things that you have that you feel um, are not the same as you used to, putting them in a group and presenting it to your doctor that way. Before I move on to exercise, Chad, one question about diagnosis. So if somebody like this lady who was reading a magazine and said, I have eight symptoms, potential symptoms, where should they go? Is it a movement disorder specialist? Is it their primary care physician? Where do you recommend that they go? So. And outside of an insurance chain, right? You may have to go to your PCP to get right. to a neurologist, a movement disorder specialist. A movement disorder specialist right, is a neurologist who then went and trained two more years in movement disorders. Now, okay. Parkinson's disease is a movement disorder, MS, but the majority of their patients that they're going to see are people living with Parkinson's disease. There are okay. many fantastic general neurologists. There's a lot of areas that don't have a movement disorder specialist that they can get to easily accessible. Um, but that movement disorder specialist is generally going to have a greater knowledge of Parkinson's disease, the newer therapies and things of that nature. Um, what I always like to say is if I, I drove a Lamborghini, I'm not gonna take it to the Honda dealership to get it worked on, right? I'm gonna take it to the Lamborghini dealership. And you know, for what it's worth, Parkinson's is a Lamborghini of a disease. Mm -hmm. You know, There's a lot of different things it's fancy, and I think you should have the, the fancy doctor to go with it if possible. And again, that's not to discredit, there's plenty of fantastic regular neurologists, but again, these movement disorder specialists go on for another couple of years to, to get that special distinction. Very good. So I think, Chad, you, you just you talked about, I think we all know the benefits of exercise, right? Um, what do you say to somebody who was just recently diagnosed with Parkinson's and they called you up and said, you know, you start talking about dopafit or exercise in general. 
what do you say to them if they say, I feel fine. I don't think I need exercise right now. Uh, it, it's so funny that you say that. And I knew this was coming. That is an unfortunate thing that I hear too often. Um, and I think that is a problem because it's being miscommunicated either through their doctors or whomever. Um, I was at a conference in Connecticut. It was a panel of top minds, many from Yale and this Yale movement disorder specialist, um, a younger woman said, if I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease today, my new full-time job would be exercise. It really boils down to Jason uh, I, that, um, and again, I'll go back to a car analogy. If your car starts squeaking and you wait until something breaks, it's too late and it's going to cost you a lot more money. If you got to the, the core of it right when that wheel started squeaking, it could have just used some WD-40 and been on its way for a while before you had to do anything with it. It's the same thing with Parkinson's disease. The earlier you get into your exercise, the better off you're going to be for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Some of the of our patients who are in their farthest diagnosis, so say 20, 30 years, who exercise regularly in their life prior to Parkinson's disease, it is much easier for them to continue with their exercise, you know, once they're diagnosed as well, because it's part of their life, are faring far better than the people who live a sedative lifestyle prior to being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So mm -hmm. exercise is the only way that you're going to continue to really, truly live well with your disease for a very long period of time. Yeah. So with DopaFit, you talk about the value of group exercise. What does the individual assessment look like when somebody comes to you for the first time? So for us, um, we are a little different than some other facilities. And I suggest that if you can find a place that does do this, if not, it's okay. You need to use your best discretion. I'll let you know why in a second. So we do our assessment and then we have two groups. So we have a group that um, some of these men and women could go and run a marathon tomorrow. They are generally either have been with us for a while or they were exercisers to begin with, or they may be on the younger side and have been more active. And then our second group are some people who are, you know, have wheelchairs and walkers, some more trouble moving, necess can't necessarily get up and off the ground um, on their own. And the reason why that is, is it goes back to where I talked about the, the, the need for intensity. And you need to be in a group that's going to challenge you a little bit. And we found, and we started, you know, with a, a group together where everyone was all in one room, where there was a 45-year-old um, gentleman and a 95-year-old gentleman in the, in the same group. And now that 95-year-old was very feisty um, to begin with. But um, <laughs> they don't, they should not be, they should not have the same treatment plan when it comes to exercise. So yeah. it's, it's finding that group, but also finding a group that is going to be um, customized to your ability level in the best of the ability that someone can in a group. Um, and then also it's learning your limits and knowing when to push yourself and when not to push yourself, but hopefully having a, um, a professional there to say, Hey, Jason, go a little bit faster, pick up the extra five pounds, or generally speaking, when it comes to that gentleman, I have to say, Hey guys, you know, you're not in high school anymore. You're not going to bench 350. We might have to grab a five or 10 pound weight and it's okay. It's okay. All right. I know you ran a four, four in high school, but you're 80 years old, John. So we got to take a break, you know, and that's a, I have these conversations with these gentlemen all the time. So 
I imagine. I imagine. So yeah. it, it's probably safe to say that a lot of about exercise is confidence. So when you're, how soon after somebody comes to the doors, do they start to see the changes physically and mentally? So mentally, I'd say almost right away. Um, and a lot of that, again, has to go back to that social aspect to where there's just so, there's something so comforting to people when they walk into a room and they can be their true selves. Um, my mother was one who really tried to hide her disease. And I think that was damaging. I do. And I, I've learned from that. And I try to Im impose this on as many people as possible in their own right, right? Because everyone's journey is different and they need to feel comfortable doing this. But the quicker you can take a hold of your disease and, you know, empower yourself with it, I think the better off you are. And when you're in a group of people who are fighting the same fight you are, some of them have been fighting it for years and they are excited to see you come through those doors and pre-COVID give you that, that big hug. And I, I can almost, you can almost see it come over someone's body where they just, they just, they relax, you know, and it, it's so powerful. And as much as I think exercise is the best medicine, I, a lot of times believe our social community that was created outweighs the exercise many times over. Yeah. Excellent stuff. So tell me a little bit more about DopaFit and a little bit, how can people find you? Yeah. So um i'll just i'll stay away from the slides because i don't think i'll be able to manage it again but <laughs> what, what we are is we're, we're a parkinson's movement center we have locations okay. in massachusetts so yep. we do all the different everything that i explained that is good for people with parkinson's disease dance boxing um the group fitness tight we do tai chi um drumming we have a chorus group all designed specifically for people with Parkinson's disease in one nice, um, wonderful center. We, of course, have moved everything virtually. Um, so we can reach anyone anywhere. And we have people coming from all over the US. And a lot of times when we have our, our talks and support groups, there's people from all over the world. So if you real simple way to find us, it's dopafit.com, D-O-P-A-F-I-T.com. And all of our information will be right there. And I'm sure there'll be there'll be notes to, to find all that as well in the bios. Very good. So somebody just chimed in with a question. They said, is DopaFit a franchise opportunity? It is. Um, we are working on that now. It was going um, pre-COVID that way. But of course, um, everything has taken a step back. So we are absolutely um, looking at expanding our reach. Very good. Um, so as far as knowledgeable aging, you can find all of our... Um, archive webinars on our website, go to knowledgeableaging.com. You can also go to YouTube. I encourage you to subscribe. We update that four to five times per week. If podcasts are your thing, I encourage you to check us out through Spotify, uh, Apple Tunes, et cetera. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.